I want to talk today about sometimes I fail to embrace eternity. Sometimes I fail to embrace eternity. Let me tell you a story first. In the year 2000, Australia, the land down under, took the world stage for two very special events. The welcoming of a brand new millennium and the Summer Olympic Games. And as this clock struck midnight on January the 1st, 2000, Sydney was the first city on the planet to welcome the new millennium. A barrage of fireworks exploded from the Sydney Harbour Bridge, lighting up the entire port. Over one million people gathered to watch the New Year's celebration, with millions more watching it on television. And some, of course, intently watching their computers to see if the Y2K bug was indeed fact or fiction. Later that summer, the same city, Sydney, hosted the Olympic Games, the Summer Olympic Games. And once again, the Harbour Bridge was the central focus as billions of people watched the televised opening ceremonies. These two events shared a lot of things in common. The same city, the same landmark bridge, the huge fireworks display, and the intention of many, many people in the world. However, they also shared another similarity, which, at the moment it happened, probably didn't make much sense. At the end of the New Year's celebration, the Harbour Bridge was not lit with the year 2000, nor did the Olympic opening ceremonies conclude with a fiery display of the five Olympic rings. In each case, the Harbour Bridge was illuminated by the same word, eternity. Many people had to have been scratching their heads and asking themselves, what does eternity have to do with New Year's Eve or the Olympics? Honestly, not much. But as random as it might have seemed, this word is a very meaningful part of the city of Sydney's history. It's a reference to a man called Arthur Stace, also known as the Graffiti Preacher. Arthur Stace was born and raised in Australia, in a home where alcoholism, hopelessness, and poverty were part of his everyday life. At the age of 12, and with no formal education, he became a ward of the state. By the age of 15, he was sent to jail for the first time. In his 20s, Arthur became a recruiter for his sister's many brothels. Most of his early adult life was spent as a miserable petty thief and an alcoholic. Until August 6, 1930. That was the day 46-year-old Arthur Stace put his faith in Jesus Christ, and his life was never the same. Two years later, Arthur Stace was in church and heard an evangelist named John Ridley preach a message entitled, The Echoes of Eternity. The evangelist Bible passage was from Isaiah chapter 57, verse 15. Isaiah 57, verse 15. For thus says the one who is high and lifted up, who inhabits eternity, whose name is holy, I dwell in the high and holy place, but I also dwell with him who is of a contrite and lowly spirit. I dwell to revive the spirit of the lowly 
and to revive the heart of the contrite. This beautiful verse begins by revealing that God towers above us and inhabits eternity. And John Ridley, the preacher, was so moved by these words that he said, Eternity, eternity. I wish that I could sound or shout that word to everyone in the streets of Sydney. You've got to meet it. Where will you spend eternity? Those words were all that Arthur Stace needed to launch his now famous campaign. For the next 35 years, until he was 81, Arthur, who was basically illiterate and could not even write his own name, began a simple routine. Every morning, he would wake up at 4 a.m. and spend an hour in prayer. Then around 5 a.m., he would leave his house and go wherever he felt God was leading him. And for hours, he would take a piece of sidewalk chalk and write one word, eternity, in beautiful script wherever he could. It was the only word he knew how to spell. Every 100 feet, Arthur wrote his one-word sermon throughout the sidewalks in the city of Sydney. As his efforts continued, he somehow avoided being arrested on more than 20 occasions for defacing public property. And when questioned why he was doing it and how he was doing it, he always answered the questions with, I have permission from a higher source. For more than 20 of those years, his work remained a mystery. It caused multitudes of people to pause and to ponder. The power of that one word was felt throughout the entire city. Eventually, an entire nation was touched. Finally, in 1956, the mystery was solved as Arthur Stace was revealed as the graffiti preacher. And hordes of people he never knew personally thanked him for the impact he had on their lives. Arthur Stace died in 1967, but his message has been secured for generations to come. The bell in the Sydney clock tower, rebuilt in 1960, bears the word eternity. Eternity is inscribed on a copper plate in the middle of Sydney's Town Hall Square. In 2000, the Sydney Harbour Bridge shouted his message for the entire world to see, twice, once on New Year's and secondly in the opening ceremony of the Summer Olympics. In 2003, the opera The Eternity Man was written based on Stacy's life story. In 2008, The Eternity Man was adapted into film and became a major motion picture. Arthur Stace's remarkable story demonstrates the impact one person willing to be used by God can have on others, even an entire nation for Jesus Christ. And here's the truth. What we do in life echoes in eternity. What we do in life echoes in eternity. Can you imagine if there was an Arthur Stace in every corner of the world? What if just one believer in every city was motivated by an immense burden and a daily mission to bring eternity to the forefront of everyone's attention. 
Paul the Apostle, who wrote half, more than half of the New Testament, said in Philippians 3, verses 12 to 14, Not that I have already obtained this, or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own, because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press onward toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. And that goal he's pressing onto is eternity spent with God. And no goal is in this life is as important as our heavenly calling to spend eternity with our Lord and, and, and to invite as many people as possible to the same glorious future. C.S. Lewis, one of my favorite authors, wrote, All that is not eternal is eternally useless. All that is not eternal is eternally useless. We need to remember that. Eternity is woven into the gospel. One of the very first scriptures anyone commits to memory is John 3.16, in which Jesus promised eternity with him in heaven. It's called eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Paul, the apostle, reminds us often of this gift that enables us to spend eternity with Jesus. In Romans 6.23, he says, The gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Eternity is forever. And our minds have trouble grasping the immensity of that. You know, we often exaggerate a lengthy situation or process by declaring that seemed like an eternity. But we really don't understand the full scope of eternity. How long it is, how big it is. Imagine a bird disassembling the whole earth, twig by twig, leaf by leaf, pebble by pebble, and taking every individual element to the moon piece by piece. When this task was finally completed, eternity would have just been starting. If every 500 years a hummingbird sharpened his beak on granite rock, granite rock that stood five miles high, 500 miles high, and 500 miles wide, and he did that only once every 500 years, once the rock was completely eroded away, it would be but one second of eternity. When we begin to grasp what eternity really means and realize that everyone on this planet will one day come to face with their eternal destiny, I think it raises the stakes. I think it should encourage us not only to care about others and where they're going to spend eternity, but also to speak to them about eternity. We need to care about our family, our friends, our neighbors, and where they will spend eternity. And if we do care, we can no longer be quiet. Our words and our thoughts must be intentional, and we must share and speak about the gospel. John 3.16 says that if we believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, 
we will receive the gift of eternal life. John 3.16 says two things that you need to know and two things that you need to do. First things are the things that you need to know. You need to know, one, that God the Father loves you, and two, that anyone who is in love gives gifts, and so does God the Father, and he gives you a gift of his Son. Two things you need to do. You need to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of God the Father. And the word believe there means to totally, absolutely, constantly trust in him. And then you need to receive the forgiveness that he offers. Two things you need to do after two things you need to know. Again, the gospel needs to be shared, and it's easy to share. We need to know more than one way to share it as believers. We need to understand that the gospel is that your past is forgiven, you have a purpose for living today, now, and you have a place reserved for you in heaven. Three Ps, easy way to share the gospel. How could we not share the gospel with our friends if we understand how long eternity is? How could we stand by and say nothing, knowing that our loved ones could spend eternity separated from God? I believe that when we consider the eternalness of eternity, we have no choice. Like Arthur Stace, the graffiti preacher, we need to find a way to share Jesus. And the fact that there is an eternity to be gained and a hell to avoid. This is really important not to be thought about lightly. It's critically important. Every 24 hours, approximately 150,000 people die and face their Creator. That means that every hour, 6,316 people take their last breath and enter eternity. Every minute, 105 people are ushered into eternity. And there are only two possible destinations in eternity, heaven or hell. The clock never stops. Time does not stand still for anyone. People are continually exiting this life, many without any hope. Hebrews 9, verses 27 and 28 says, Just as it is appointed for man to die once, and after that comes the judgment, so Christ was offered once to bear the sins of many, and then who offers to us eternity in heaven. I was thinking about all of this the other day, thinking of how many people, how many precious souls do I know personally, who will stand before God on Judgment Day without Jesus by their side to speak for them, rescuing them from an eternity separated from God's love and His love and the peace? The hard truth is, everyone is going to spend eternity somewhere. Every person you know, every person you love, will one day step into eternity. So what do they believe? Well, many people think that every religion is the same, and no matter which one you adhere to, you are on your way to heaven and for all eternity. They're wrong. Some people think that it doesn't matter what you believe as long as you're sincere in your beliefs. Never mind that they might be sincerely wrong. An increasing number of people have no belief in an afterlife at all. 
And so eternity does not exist. This short life and then nothingness. But the Bible teaches us. Jesus himself states, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father. In other words, no one goes to heaven except through me, except through Jesus. And Jesus is the expert on this heavenly thing, this eternal thing. He came from eternity, was born as a human being. He taught about the kingdom and eternity. He died and rose again from the dead, showing us that no one ceases to exist, and there is eternal life after this life for everyone. There is life after life. And he ascended back into heaven, having made a way for us to follow him and avoid the other alternative called hell. I am the way, the truth, and the life. He's the only way. So the Bible teaches that everyone lives for all of eternity. No one ceases to exist. No one is going to get into heaven unless they have a personal relationship with God through Jesus. The Bible teaches that anyone who is not in Christ is and will be what the Bible calls lost, separated from God. And this is an eternal and that there is an eternal reality that waits those who reject the truth of salvation. It's called hell. The word salvation means the act of saving or protecting from harm, risk, loss, and destruction. In other words, there is an eternal reality. Life is more than this short time on planet Earth. And if we believe in Jesus and have received salvation, we are saved from the ultimate consequences of sin, separation from God's love now and for all eternity. In other words, we're being saved from harm, risk, loss, and destruction. Revelation 20, verse 15 states that if anyone's name is not found written in the book of life, they will not be spending eternity, a very long forever, experiencing God's love and life. And your name is written in the book of life when you ask Jesus to become your personal Lord and Savior, when you are born again. In other words, if a person has not heard the truth of the gospel and responded in a positive way, if a person has heard the truth of the gospel and not responded in a positive way, their names will not be in the book of life. 2 Corinthians 7 verses 8 to 10 would tell us what the proper way to respond is. 2 Corinthians 7 verses 8 to 10. For though I caused you sorrow by my letter, I do not regret it. Though I did regret it, for I see that that letter caused you sorrow, though only for a while. I now rejoice, not that you were made sorrowful, but that you were made sorrowful to the point of repentance. For you were made sorrowful according to the will of God, so that you might not suffer loss in anything through us. For the sorrow that is according to the will of God produces a repentance without regret, leading to salvation. 
But the sorrow of the world, sorry you got caught, sorry that you're suffering the consequences of what you did, but the sorrow of the world produces death, separation from God now and forever. In other words, responding to the moving of the Spirit is important to hear. You hear the gospel truth. You hear the truth of the gospel of the kingdom. The Holy Spirit convicts you of that truth. Conviction must lead you to godly sorrow, not worldly sorrow. Godly sorrow brings a person to a place of repentance. It did in David, King David's time. Read Psalm 51, which is his psalm of repentance. Repentance means to think as God thinks and turn away from the way that seems right, but that leads to death. Proverbs 14:12. And once a person has repented, then they are forgiven. And they need to receive and embrace that forgiveness and then receive the gift of eternal life. Then they are born again. Without that repentance, without that godly sorrow leading you to repentance, there is no salvation. And therefore there is no forgiveness. And there is no time with God for the rest of eternity. Receiving that message and receiving his forgiveness is just the start of the journey into that eternity with God. But it is the only start. Many, many people have heard the gospel, but they have not felt the conviction of the Spirit or not responded to the conviction of the Spirit. They have not experienced godly sorrow, and therefore their heart has not been touched and therefore their heart has not been changed. And although they may have said a sinner's prayer, it's all in their head and not in their heart, and they are not truly born again. That's the message that we should feel compelled to share. 1 Corinthians 9.16 says, For I preach the gospel. I have no reason to boast, because I am compelled to preach. I am compelled to share. And woe is me if I do not share the gospel. The New American Standard Version says, For I preach the gospel, I have nothing to boast of, for I am under compulsion. For woe is me if I do not share the gospel. You know, we never know when the person we love or the person we know will die. So since time is of the essence, we need to make the most of every opportunity. We need to make every opportunity count. So Paul writes in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 15 and 16, Look carefully then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time, because the days are evil. While eternity spans across an infinite continuum, time on earth is very limited, and we don't have all the time in the world to tell everyone we know about the good news. So we have to have this sense of urgency to share the gospel of the kingdom because Jesus is either coming back in our lifetime and we need our loved ones to be ready, or even if we die before he comes, either way we will at some point run out of opportunities to share the gospel. And others that we love and know will run out of time to put their faith in Jesus. He is our one and only hope. He is the only way, truth, and source of eternal life. 
The early church was aware of this hope that is found in Jesus. Probably one of the most impressive displays of this hope was a greeting used by the early disciples of Jesus. First century Christians would greet each other with a peculiar word that produced spiritual hope every time it was spoken. The greeting was Maranatha. Not hello, not goodbye, but Maranatha. Maranatha was a very significant word. It literally means, in Aramaic, the Lord is coming soon. Now talk about a great way to start and end a conversation. You start it, and it would bring comfort to those who are suffering for their faith. Actually, basically, you're saying, hang in there, Jesus is coming soon. It would remind the believers of the reward that Jesus would give to those who remain faithful through life, through hard times. Jesus said in Revelation 22:12, Look, I am coming soon, bringing my reward with me to repay all people according to what they have done. The word Maranatha would remind them that the time to share with others the hope we have in Jesus is always now. 1 Peter 3.15 If someone asks about your hope as a believer, always be ready to explain it. And they will ask. They do ask if we live according to our beliefs. If we live as true believers. So what if every Christian worldwide started and ended their conversation with, hey, Jesus is coming soon. It would, I hope, change our outlook and the way we relate to every person we know who is not born again, who is not saved. And Maranatha is much more than just a greeting or an encouraging word. It is, in fact, a reality. Jesus is coming soon. He is returning to the earth soon. The Bible clearly says that one day the Lord will come down from heaven and take those who are ready away from the earth. It's going to be an awesome day to see Jesus face to face and live with, in heaven with him for all of eternity. That is the ultimate reward that he is bringing to each born-again believer. We don't know what day that will be, but we need to be alert, ready, and actively inviting others to join us. So the words of Jesus, recorded in Matthew chapter 24, verse 42, Therefore, keep watch. Be alert, because you do not know on what day your Lord will come. This long-awaited, amazing, glorious day of Jesus' return will happen. And when Jesus returns, he will hold every one of us accountable for how we managed and used the resources, the abilities, the talents, and the opportunities, and the good news that he gave us. For those of us who know and love Jesus, his return is not something to fear. It's something to be excited about. And it should spark in us a sense of urgency that until that day comes, or until the day we die, we have an important job to do. We must tell everyone we meet about the gospel of the kingdom and the wonderful offer of salvation found only in Jesus. Not in religion, but in a personal relationship with Jesus, who is God. So my question would be, if you knew Jesus was coming back next week, 
Who would you want to tell about him today? Telling others about Jesus is embracing and understanding eternity. And sometimes I fail to embrace eternity. I fail to make telling others about the love of God found only in Jesus a priority.